Adventures in time and space told in future tense. All radio is dead. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Look, there comes one of them now. Hey, welcome everybody. My name's Kyle. And I'm Brad. And risen from the coffin, we are Nosferadudes. So, uh, we want to say first thank you to the nine people that listened to our first show, all about Halloween 78 and Halloween 2. Um, we're kind of changing the, the format here a little bit. We're going to try and streamline it down. Um, we listened back to that first episode, and we liked it, we enjoyed it, but, you know, it, it felt kind of uh, stilted kind of, you know, choppy long and long, uh, just going through the narrative. Um, so we're just going to cover some of the production history and then talk about, um, the, the major points or even some of the finer points of what we like about these movies or what things stood out about these movies to us. So, uh, without further ado, let's hop right into it. Let's get after it. (laughs) And let's start talking about Halloween H2O 20 years later. Um, came out in 1998, directed by Steve Miner. Um, we've got Jamie Lee Curtis coming back as Laurie Strode and or uh, Carrie Tate. Uh, this movie was kind of um, her baby. She wanted to she wanted to go back and revisit this and and kind of um, she was looking to end the series. She was looking to like this is the end of my story with this. I'm tired of people asking me about this movie. <laughs> and we're just going to make this and move on. Um, she didn't quite get her wish. <laughs> no, she did not. Hey, sometimes you got to lean into it. And she did. Oh, yeah. She yeah. Up- she She's always been super appreciative of all the horror fans that uh, love her and all the different horror movies that she's done over the years. Um, we get Josh Hartnett playing her son, John Tate, uh, this was Josh Hartnett back when they were trying to package him as a heartthrob with his messy haircut. Um, but he's got some horror movie cred. He he also was in 30 Days of Night, which was an awesome movie. Incredible movie, yes. We've got Michelle Williams as his girlfriend uh, coming off of her television career. And I th- I'm pretty sure I think this might have been her first major movie. But we, we see that tends to happen. Uh, you get like you know, Kevin Bacon being in Friday the 13th, you get, you see like these big name stars that always, when they're young and they're fresh and they're just starting out, have at least one horror movie under their belt. Johnny Depp, Jennifer Aniston. Yeah. And we get, uh, an improbable love interest (laughs) for Jamie Lee Curtis in the form of Adam Arkin. Brad, how do we feel about Adam Arkin? (laughs) He's clean. (laughs) <laughs> that's important hey uh, <laughs> so um he's not your conventionally handsome guy he's not very tall and statuesque but he uh it, it comes off as intelligent and clean and those are two things that i look for yeah 
I I think I think there there was probably some weird segment of like the middle aged. He's probably the population. best looking guy at the school. <laughs> out outside of LL, who has you know has a woman as is portrayed in the movie, right? So right, he's get, already he's already attached. We get we get one of our favorite characters, LL Cool J, as uh, Ronnie Jones, the security guard. Because I think if LL was single in the movie, I think you yeah. would. Everybody would have expected gravitate more towards <laughs> LL than Adam Arkin. He would have licked his lips one time, and Jamie Lee would have been like, I "That would have been Ronnie. it. That would have been it." <laughs> um, so we get uh, a baby Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He has a little bit of a. It's not quite a cameo. It's a little longer than a cameo, but um, he's he's thrown in there in the very beginning. He meets uh, an untimely end. Um, and one of the best scenes in the movie. Right, quite on, quite honestly, that that whole opening scene was was really well done. And also, don't forget that the mask in the opening scene is different than the other masks that are in the movie. So they use the mask from Number Six uh, in the opening. So Michael is actually a little more intimidating looking yeah. in the opening scene than he is in the rest of the movie. Yeah. And um, we get some, you know, they always have like the kind of throwaway friends, like the kids, you know, that are going to die. Um, the only thing that stands out really about them is the the one guy that plays Charlie is actually um, Adam Han Bird. He's the he's young Robin Williams from Jumanji. Right. <laughs> um, so we get uh, Janet Lee shows up in this. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's mom, uh, the the famous uh, actress from Psycho who gets stabbed in the shower. Uh, she plays Norma Watson. She plays Jamie Lee Curtis's character's secretary. Um, and it was it's fun to see them come together. They were in the fog together, but it's always kind of fun to see that. And she plays like an annoying secretary in this. She plays like a secretary who's like bothersome. <laughs> <laughs> and she drives the same car from Psycho, doesn't she? That's right. That's right. In the one scene when everybody's like leaving for the weekend, she hops into and they they play like a little piece of the Psycho music when she mm -hmm. walks away to the car. This was definitely you can tell this is post screen because they're doing some things in this movie that are following in that like meta footprint, you know, right. recognizing the horror movie history. Mm-hmm. Um, we get Chris Durand as Michael Myers. Uh, we'll have a whole discussion about, about him because, uh, yeah, when, you know, there's, there's, there's some good Michael Myers. There's some bad Michael Myers. We'll let you know where Chris Durand stacks up. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so let's, uh, let's go ahead and get into it. Um, this is the seventh installment of the franchise and it was, uh, imagined as a direct sequel to Halloween 2. Jamie Lee Curtis wanted to carry on that storyline. She wanted nothing to do with the the Thorn trilogy, the 4, 5, 6, um, where she has a, it's her granddaughter running around being chased by Michael Myers. And, uh, <clears throat> well, Jamie... it's her, it's her daughter. Oh, is it her daughter? I thought it was her granddaughter. Jamie Lee. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it is her daughter. It's, it it's her, her daughter. daughter. Yeah. Um, Remember, so she babysat. It's going to be a different episode. <laughs> but Rachel was babysat by Lori when she that's was right. young. 
That's you should tell right. us that story. You know, you remember when, you know, my or or your mom babysat me when I was your age. Yeah. So, so, so we're we're coming into this. Uh, Jamie Lee wanted to kind of create a believable story, so she, you know, she worked with the writing team to to try and come up with um, some some believable way that Lori would still be out there in some way. So she's supposed to have moved to California, changed her name, living under an assumed identity. Um, most of the world, you know, believes Michael Myers is dead. She she kind of refuses to believe it, and it causes her a lot of problems in her life. She's always looking over her shoulder. Um, well, so now, she's traumatized. Yeah, yeah, she's definitely, it's, Shh. this is the PTSD Laurie Strode. That's who we get in, right. this, in this movie. Right, and it only makes sense that she has developed an alcohol problem. Um, she has nightmares. Um, this night is terrors. And, night terrors. She night like, terrors. Yeah, wakes up screaming. Uh, right, and and this is you know the part of the story that I actually liked in Rob Zombie's Halloween Two. And I know this is a different episode and I'm not going to linger <laughs> on it, but you also see the after effects of the first one. Yeah. So in the second Rob Zombie movie, they show that that breakdown that Laurie has as a result of the events, you know, with, with Michael. So um, I like that they put that in H2O. Yeah. And I mean, that that seems to be Rob Zombie kind of the way to differentiate his two films from the the rest of the the franchise was to you know pick those things for him to like deep dive into he wanted mm -hmm. to get into what made michael tick he wanted to mm -hmm. get into laurie's psychological state he wanted to get like deep into all that stuff um so yeah uh it was the highest grossing film in the franchise until halloween 2018 and um this actually when you look up the history of the movie it, it started as a concept that was originally written as the second half of the curse of michael myers like this was going to be where uh, the writers of the, that film wanted to take the story initially um and it was at one point titled michael myers lord of the dead <laughs> It would have opened immediately after uh, Curse with Tommy Doyle, Paul Rudd's character, discovering that the entire town of Haddonfield, the entire town, was part of a conspiracy to control Michael Myers. So a little hot fuzz. It was like <laughs> the entire town is in on it. Wow. Wow. <laughs> All of Haddonfield, Illinois, is uh, trying to control Michael Myers. Um. Then later, uh, as they, as it kind of, you know, it's one of these things. This was a movie that like banged around in, in uh, movie purgatory for a while till it finally got legs and Jamie got behind it. And but at one point it was called Halloween Seven: Two Faces of Evil, um, and that's where that treatment was where they put it at a, a girls' boarding school. And then it was called Halloween Blood Ties. Um, that's where they actually put Laurie Strode back into the storyline. Um, all those ideas were scrapped eventually, but some of those elements, little bits and pieces here became part of the story that, uh, they eventually called in the big guns. They called in Kevin Williamson. Um, he's coming off of writing Scream. 
Right. And he reworks it, and the working title of his story was Halloween 7, The Revenge of Laurie Strode. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I heard, Not terrible. I heard it was going to start with a crawl. <laughs> Episode 7, The Revenge of Laurie Strode. It was a dark day in the galaxy. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, Williamson's original idea was a continuation of all six of the previous films. Laurie is in hiding under an assumed name, working at a school. Um, when a student does a report on the murders, Laurie finds out her daughter is dead. So this kind of like, it's a little fucked up, you know? Uh, and, and she was, when she finds this out, she was supposed to run to the bathroom and, um, and throw up. <laughs> but it's a little fucked up because it, it's, it, puts forward this idea that Lori basically abandoned her daughter. <laughs> well, it would have been to protect her. <laughs> Possibly. Possibly. <laughs> um, because even though she went into hiding, if Michael did go after anybody, he would go after Lori. <laughs> Unless she thought she was, he thought she was dead. <laughs> but so yeah, so I guess that's the idea is that like she she doesn't find out he's back or find out that he's attacked, you know, uh, family members and whatnot until this student does a report on it. <laughs> so Kevin Williamson was working with what he had. They were throwing some different ideas at him, and he was like, "Let me see how I can make this puzzle fit." <laughs> Um, now, John Carpenter, he actually wanted to direct the film. He actually he wanted did. to be in on this one. Um, but he wanted $10 million and a three-picture deal with the studio in return for he, it. And right. he was turned down flat. Right. They were like, nope, thanks. Thanks, John. We'll get Steve Miner. <laughs> and I like, and I don't... I'm I'm not sure if you were going to talk about Steve Miner too much, but um, Steve Miner was an associate producer on the original Friday the Thirteenth. Mm -hmm. uh, he yep. was kind of Sean Cunningham's right hand guy on that movie, uh, and then he took over the directing duties in Friday the Thirteenth Part Two. We will have an episode on this, but that is my favorite Friday the Thirteenth. <laughs> uh, and then he also directed Friday the Thirteenth Part Three, which is arguably um you know one of the, it's it's definitely one of the better Friday the 13th and the so, begin, the beginning of the iconic Jason It's Borges. the beginning of, right where he gets the mask um so Steve Miner is not a big I mean you're not getting John Carpenter but you're getting a very capable horror director Yeah yeah Steve he, Miner Yeah he and you can tell from the movie it's there's a reason it was uh, so popular right up until uh, the 2018 Halloween. Um, and it's because he, he obviously knows what he's doing. Like, I think, I think if there are any, if there are any drawbacks to H2O, it's not about how he shot it, how it was directed. The acting is all good. There are just, you know, when, if you're a fan of the series, there are just a few little things that, that, stand out the no you. it was one thing 
<laughs> one thing ruined the movie, and this is something that you can't mess up for any Halloween movie. They got Michael wrong completely, 100%. The mask, the guy who played him, sorry to that Chris gentleman. Durand. <laughs> I'm sure, I, I hope he's not our 10th listener and uh, <laughs> heard me say that, but uh, the guy moved all wrong. Um, I, I made a note of that, you know, they had, um, different Michael Myers through the years. Obviously you had Nick Castle started out, then you had Dick Warlock, then you had George P. Wilbur, um, in four and six. And even the guy who played Michael in five, they all moved. I don't know how to put this any other way, but to say that they moved in a way that was consistent with how I would think Michael Myers would move. Right. Yeah. Uh, as as a stalking serial killer, because he's not. He, the, there's a way. I'm sorry. There's a way that you can um, play it where he's like Frankenstein, and that's wrong. Right. And even if you go back and you look at the way George P. Wilbur played um, Michael Myers in number four and number six, he did play him more of the stiffer kind of Michael Myers, but he he did it in a way that. It was it was still scary. Um, he he moved the right way. I don't again. I don't know how to put it in a better way. But the actors who played Michael in H two O, and then we'll talk about Resurrection uh, here in a little while. Um, but the, those two actors played moved all wrong. They moved in a way that I just didn't think was really consistent with the way I vision. Michael Myers moving. And then on top of that, they got the masks wrong. So you got the mask wrong and you got the guy who played him wrong. And because you got Michael wrong 100%, that is what brings H2O down. If you got, if you took George P. Wilbur, if they would have brought back George P. <laughs> Wilbur to play Michael in this one, H2O automatically is going to move way up the board and be probably just behind the original. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. They, uh, there's a, the French call it, I don't know what. <laughs> but there's, <laughs> but like Nick Castle, the, the whole reason, like Nick Castle was just like hanging out. He was just hanging out around with his, his movie-making buddies, and John Carpenter saw the way he walked, and he just pointed his finger and went, "That's my guy." Like, right? You know, so that that's how kind of imperceptible that quality is. Is that John Steve Miner did not do that? Right, right. Yeah, John Carpenter just knew it when he saw it. He saw Nick Castle walking along, just you know. Not thinking about anything, not really. He's just walking from point A to point B, and John Carpenter was like, "That's the way Michael Myers moves." And I wonder if Steve Miner, because again, you're talking about a very capable horror director, um, a, a guy that I uh, uh, I enjoy those Friday Thirteenth movies that he directed. Um, I wonder if Steve Miner more thought that he could, if he wrote a good, if he had a good story and he directed it the right way and he gave that kind of Halloween feel to it, that it didn't matter. Michael Myers, the, you know, the actual actor who played him and the mask wasn't as important as 
you know, the maybe the cinematography and the feel of the movie and the writing. Well, I will say, but that's but that's wrong. Obviously, yeah. that was a miscalculation. And I will I will say there there is if you look back if if you kind of delve into horror movie history at all, you'll see that there's a thread of that feeling that kind of pervades most horror movies because if you think about it like like what slashers did in the late 70s through the early 80s you had some slashers where it was just some creepy guy right but you had these other slashers the iconic ones that eventually came out of that time period halloween friday the 13th uh nightmare on elm street even though you see like freddy's burnt face it's still like a mask you're still seeing uh freddy like through the visage of this, you know, mutilated burned face as opposed Mm -hmm. to like just a regular guy. And there is this kind of weird sensibility in it. It was, I know it was back in, you know, the kind of the, the golden age, you know, universal studios period and all that kind of stuff where it's like the guy in the suit doesn't matter. You know what I mean? There's some, some directors just think that way. Like the guy in the suit doesn't matter. Uh, We can put it, give me stunt guy, X and I'll put him in that outfit and we'll film it. And, um, but the really great directors get the idea that no, there is something to performance, you know, physical and, performance. And, and, and me saying that is a bit of a contradiction from what I've always said when it comes to, um, and I know what you're talking about, even with uh, Robert England and Freddie Krueger, the reason that they haven't really been able to put together, a great nightmare on Elm street is because they, they were trying to do it without Robert England. And uh, it's, it's hard to do it because yes, he had the makeup on, but it's not quite a mask. Yeah, it it, it is. I mean, I I understand what you're saying, but there's still an actor there. Like the Robert England had to act. You can't just throw anybody behind the mask. Right. And expect that they're going to move the right way. Right. So Jamie Lee, she wanted this this movie to completely... Moving on. Yeah. (laughs) She wanted this to completely end the franchise. Um, However, there was a a small issue, and that small issue was a a lovable producer by the name of Mustafa Akkad. (laughs) And he had a clause in the contract. Why are you laughing? Why are you laughing? (laughs) Because Mustafa Akkad was known to be kind of a a tough SOB. other producers in hollywood aren't (laughs) well but i'm just saying (laughs) so he had a clause in the contract uh to to like license the rights to the characters and and the whole bit um where you can't kill michael myers you're not like if if you if you if you plan to kill michael myers mustafa kad just says no (laughs) and so um she almost left the Jamie Lee almost left the project because of that. She was because she wanted this done, and um, then they bring in Kevin Williamson and they come up with um, the the storyline that leads into the story the paramedic storyline that leads into Halloween Resurrection, and uh, Jamie Lee said, "Okay, that works for me, but you cannot release any of that footage." And you can't tease it in a trailer or anything. Um, the audience has to believe that Michael is dead at the end of this movie, or I'm not doing it. 
Because she, she basically said, like, okay, you made it work story-wise, which for her was good enough. Even though she wanted to end it, like, okay, that's a really good way to do it. So I'll do it. But do not let people think this. there's going to be another movie. I'm not going to do it otherwise. So the resurrection reveal of the paramedic getting killed instead of Michael Myers was filmed the day after. Like, they wanted the same set, the same people, like, people available, so they filmed it the very next day after principal filming wrapped because they already knew they were going to package the next movie with that opening. Um, the music in this is not by John Carpenter. It's by a guy named John Ottoman. Um... And he basically, he worked on a bunch of other movies. It's heavily supplemented by music that was already used in Scream, Scream 2, and Mimic. Um, and I honestly think, after after watching it back again, it's probably the worst score. Like, even though it's one of the better movies, it's the worst score of any Halloween, because you barely hear the Halloween theme in it. A lot of the other Halloweens use the original score. Yeah. Um, you, you know, the... Beyond the regular theme, the the piano, um, dun dun dum, yeah, dun dun dum, yeah. Like they they use those you know bits in four and five and six. So yeah, and they they really they wanted so the the producers wanted so badly to kind of like differentiate or modernize or whatever. They they you know, they they basically used as little of the original John Carpenter score as possible. Um, and I think that's that stands out to me when I watch it because that that for me like the music it, it'd be like having Jason Voorhees without the you know it's right. like you got to have that that's part of the lore now <laughs> you know um, and uh, Bob Weinstein uh, didn't like the score even even after they threw all this crap back in. Now, Bob's, Bob Weinstein is not Harvey. Let's make sure everybody understands that. There's Harvey Weinstein who, you know, had his legal troubles. We won't get into that. This is Bob. Bob died long before A totally before different that. podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he didn't like the score at all, and uh, he demanded that they, that they use What's This Life For by Creed to... <laughs> to prop up what he felt was a weak score. <laughs> Creed being very popular at the time. Correct. Correct. Creed was very popular at the time. And in, in, in retrospect, you know, eh. <laughs> unfortunately Creed was popular at the time. Yeah. Unfortunately they were popular <laughs> with, with a certain segment of the population. Uh, <laughs> Um, and actually, this is one of the few. There was an alternate version of this movie that was released on the FX network in 2003, where they put in like added and extended footage. Um, so if you if you watch this movie back on some of your streaming services, and you're like, "Well, wait a second, where's this shot and where's that thing?" and it, it's because you might have watched it for the first time on FX back in t 2003. And you actually got to see a different movie, slightly different right. movie. Right. Um, so yeah, let's uh, let's start talking about the the movie itself. Um, they use Mr. Sandman again. They decided to connect it to Halloween too. <clears throat> who who right? 
So who directed? Uh, well, Rick Rosenthal directed. Yeah, I, I, um, I liked it. I liked that they brought back. It's so it's Mr. such a Sandman. weird. Yeah, I mean, like it's one of those things where like. I know no. we said that it would be better suited for Nightmare on Elm Street, but I kind of like the... It's still creepy. It's still a creepy... Yeah, 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 yeah. It, ...way it, of using the song. Yeah, it's just... A, it, I still don't understand why Mr. Sandman, but I won't I won't harp on that. <laughs> um, but yeah, and so... One of the things that... that Steve Miner, he, he's really great, but one of the things that, that kind of stood out for me on this movie is that so in so many of the scenes they're trying to use the score to build tension and suspense rather than the actual actions. There's like whole sequences where um, you're not really seeing Michael Myers. You're just seeing people go through like a series of tasks. And the only way they're trying to build suspense is not by how it's shot, but by just trying to use the music. Like, oh, maybe if we go up in the music here, then, then you'll get scared. And then we... You know, do this. It's funny. It's funny you say that because I actually one of my notes here is decent tension leading up to Michael. <laughs> so I suppose we're just going to have to disagree <laughs> on the tension. No, obviously they didn't. Steve Miner did not build the tension the way that John Carpenter usually goes about it. Um, I did though, and I don't know if it was the tension. Um, that's more, that's, is it, is it more me? Um, because I'm waiting to see Michael, um, because this is that 20 years later, right? Even so the first time that we watched it, we watched it in a theater and you're, you're, you're so eager to see Michael and you're going through, uh, all of this other stuff that's going on with now you see Jamie Lee and, and, uh, you get her mom appearing in the movie and LL's in the movie and it's so much kind of fun, you know, but there's all this tension that I feel waiting for that reunion between Michael and Lori. We see Michael in the beginning of the movie, but it's really the tension leading up to when she finally sees Michael again. You yeah. want to see that. Yeah. And, and, and that's what everybody is waiting for, that reunion to happen. Yeah, that's the, and that's so, the money shot. Right, that's the money shot which they screwed up on a little bit, if you want, <laughs> right? I I mean Yeah, we'll we'll get we'll, we'll get Okay, we'll, we'll get, I'm skipping ahead. We'll get but, to that. We'll get to that one. Yeah, we definitely have to talk about that that shot and and how it was um how it could have worked and how it was ruined. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, i mean yeah like you know talking about like there there are these moments like we talked about the the overall sequence in the beginning of the movie with nurse chambers and the neighbor kids and stuff the, the, it was very effective the way he's using michael moving around doorways and stuff like that but then like he it's sort of like you see steve mine a little bit of steve miner's like kind of horror movie past you know like what he believes works so you get like some cheap scares like there's like an ironing board that pops out for no fucking reason yeah <laughs> you know what i mean like you know it's just there's a little there's some cheap things that they do to try and like you know get you get you going 
And it's an old trick too, right? Oh I mean, yeah, it, totally, it, it, totally. It, 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 even in 1998, I think at that point it was it was a joke to yeah. use the falling ironing board. And and when you look at when you look at any any time, at least in the really uh, great films of John Carpenter, where he does like a a jump scare, it's not quite. I watched like a show where they like they broke it down. They like got into the nitty gritty, and they were like, he actually hits you with the 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 beat in the music first so it's like but it's not like super over the top uh alarming but you get that little uh like that little jolt first and then he does the reaction you see a hand slowly come in on loomis's shoulder it's the sheriff's hand the hand slowly comes in and you get the beat of the music when the hand comes in but then you get loomis after that's happened jumping at the touch of the sheriff and there's a way that that somehow works better than having like you know an ironing board pop out of a a door well yeah and i think that that john carpenter's ability to put together um the music to go along with his vision of the movie so you're Steve Miner. You're not doing that. John Carpenter can play music and do the score himself. So he's, he's he can, got it all in his head, right? So it's going to come out different, and he's going to be uh, more skilled, I think, at that. That using music to really build that um, and and create that jump scare um, in that classic John Carpenter way. Steve Miner's just. A, th- no one is John Carpenter, so yeah. but John Carpenter. So. Now, one of the things though about that opening, so you get the, that whole sequence. Why in the world did they have some actor do Sam Loomis for the voiceover instead of Tom Kane? Yeah, why did yeah. they do that? <laughs> like, why wouldn't you Was... just use the original audio? I don't know the answer to that. I know. It's just it just seems so so kind of crazy. That was one of the craziest things of the movie to me. Was there added di- dialogue? No, he sang Was the, there anything added? He's saying the exact same he's things. The I exact once saw this. Same things uh, from the original 6-year-old child. Yeah. <laughs> he's saying yeah. the exact lines and they got same some lines. guy to do a voiceover for it. It's one of the weirdest well, things. Well, a very skilled voice actor. Yeah. But it's just so weird. Um, so anyway, so yeah, she's, she's teaching at this boarding school in, in California. Um, (laughs) I thought about the drive. So, so Michael has to get from Haddonfield, Illinois out to California road trip. It takes 31 hours. If you drive nonstop holiday road, There needs to be an entire movie on just that road trip that Michael took. Oh, yeah, because does he wear the mask the entire time? <laughs> does, he, does, he, does he check into a motel for the night? <laughs> does he shower with the mask on? Is it just mask and then he's naked from the mask down? <laughs> and he's just washing himself under the underarms and... Getting a good, you know, a good lather going. 
Singing in the bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, does he I brush just... his teeth with the mask on, or does he lift it up to? Does he lift <laughs> it up to brush? I don't know. And it, and initially, initially, I thought to myself, well, like, how does he gas up? But then they do show that sequence where he just steals that woman's car at the rest stop. You know, he's just, he's just stealing cars the whole way, and just sure. he, run, he runs out of gas, he just goes and steals another car. Um, well, gas prices. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was 1998. Were they were they that bad? 1998. I don't know. Sure, they're they're always bad. <laughs> People always complain about gas prices. So, but um, and they and they went. Uh, you know, we get to see Lori's now living her life at this at this boarding school with her her son. You know, having these night terrors and stuff. And they went like really like dark on her. Like the you don't get a lot of the history that's happened between. Uh, 78 because you know halloween 2 is supposed to take place on the same night so it's still supposed to be 78 and 98 but you do get (laughs) that her husband was a chain smoking abusive methadone addict and then her son says and just think he left you (laughs) like like what fucking dark backdrop are they using like what was Lori doing if she was married to a methadone addict what was she up to (laughs) Well, that was probably part of her kind of descent after the events of the original and Halloween too. Yeah. That was, that was, you know, she PTSD, you know, and she just maybe got into a dark place and married the wrong kind of guy. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, they, and they, they, they allude to the fact that, um, that she has a, a a drinking problem, a bit of a drinking problem in the film. And the weird part is in real life, she, I don't know how much they allude to it is they smack you in the face with it. (laughs) But the weird part is in real life, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis had not gone into recovery yet. This was like right before she went and got, and got help for her substance abuse issues because she, Mm -hmm. and she fully talks about that. Like she's done Mm -hmm. uh, a few interviews now where she discusses, She's got whole movies that she worked on um, in the '80s that she barely remembers any anything about doing the movie um, because she was so deep in in alcoholism and all that. So it's kind of like really like when you know that and you watch this movie and you realize she's still actually technically. I mean, you're always an alcoholic, but she's like in the addiction in this movie and then portraying someone who has with an addiction an addiction. And that's like, I mean, Kevin Williamson couldn't have made it more meta. <laughs> I don't think we're supposed to be joking about alcoholism. <laughs> that's that's true. That's true. And you know, it it like Jamie Lee Curtis's. I don't uh, want to offend any of the nine listeners. Her 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 real world issues are are not a joke. I mean that is that's definitely for sure. I just I think it's just really really crazy. Um coincidental that like and and she kept it like a huge secret it was like a huge secret that she like she tried to make the entire like industry um not see it like she tried to really put up barricades to hide it and then here she is going into the situation where you know she intimately understands 
you know, what the, the character is dealing with because that's her, that's her real life. Um, they're both functioning alcoholics. Yeah. Yeah. Hardcore, hardcore. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, we, uh, we're at the school, we meet LL Cool J. He's, uh, he's great. He tells Josh Hartnett to comb his hair. I love that line. That's one of my favorite lines of the, the movie, Josh Hartnett of that bullshit, bullshit haircut (laughs) it's the uh it's the bedhead yeah the the 90s bedhead the the 90s bedhead that crept into the 2000s but uh yeah the jimmy fallon you know messy hair look yeah and we all know how jimmy fallon ended up (laughs) on the tonight show (laughs) (laughs) um yeah, and, you know, like, one of the things, you know, I was thinking about um, when they bring in, when they introduce Michelle Williams' character, um, it's like, so we, we meet her character, and there's this whole sequence with the, because uh, her job on the on campus is to wash the dishes, I guess, at the cafeteria or whatever, right? And mm-hmm. so they have a dumbwaiter in that kitchen area where she's washing dishes where the plates are coming up and down from what I guess is the lunch hall which you knew was going to be used well by, holy by shit Michael. could they could they like they literally and this is this is one of the parts where I think uh it was a little try hard on Steve Miner's part because he like telegraphs like I mean it's it's not just telegraphed he's on a loudspeaker going hey I'm going to use the dumbwaiter at some point. Hey, look how scary this dumbwaiter is, you morons. <laughs> you know, and it's like doing... So cheap. you feel that Steve Miner was not giving the audience its its due? Oh, yeah. It's- I think... Well, I think for the most part, if you looked at a lot of like late 90s, early 2000s horror, um, they obviously think that the audiences are dipshits. Like there's so much stuff that is just like spoon fed to you. Like, Hey, look, I made a jump scare with a dumb waiter. I wonder if somebody's going to die in it. <laughs> Aren't I naughty? Right. <laughs> I think, a, I think there was a lot of that going on. And I think some of that actually was a little bit of that scream effect. Like I think scream had a huge impact you know, on the entire genre of not just slashers, but horror movies in general, where they were like, on one hand, they're saying, oh, you know all this stuff. You know what's going to happen. You know, you know, and then on the other hand going, oh, hey, we're going to then show you exactly how we're going to kill every character. Well, they did that. They, they've they done that in past Halloween movies, though. I, I think in Halloween 2, correct me if I'm wrong, but the knife that um, the neighbor uses to cut the sandwich was sitting on the counter, and then in the next scene, it's gone. And you knew that he was going to, that, that's how he got the knife. So yeah. they kind of telegraphed that. Well, and then in Halloween, well, hold on, because in <laughs> Halloween 6. <laughs> She, for some reason, had the hatchet, you know, and she threw it in because uh, he well, he used the hatchet to cut down the Michael Myers uh, sign that the kids put up. Yeah. Um, 
and then she grabbed it and put it in the in the the tub and set it down and they focused on that hatchet and then the next like scene they focused on the fact that it was gone yeah and so they what? telegraphed the kill there's and there's an old there's an old theater expression for that it's Chekhov's gun right cuz uh, Anton Chekhov in one of his plays famously like you know shows like there's a gun somebody has a pistol and it's like it became this like kind of goofy rule like because it's you know it's something written by a writer they're not going to write a scene where somebody exposes the fact that they have a gun unless that gun is going to become an important part of the story later on but that's the thing. In theatrical writing now, that's like the tropiest trope that ever troped is Chekhov's gun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <Right. laughs> so I just thought that was that was kind of funny the way they he like like look at the scary dumb waiter, you guys. <laughs> um in this one, of course, because it's a set of school, we get the classic classroom scene. Where they're discussing, and I didn't even really totally uh, connect this um, uh, with our first discussion, but they're studying Frankenstein. And, you know, we talked about how Loomis, Loomis is like the Dr. Frankenstein to Michael Myers. And, of course, the lesson is all about facing your monster. Right. Fate. Fate. <laughs> He was definitely talking about fate. Um, but yeah, I mean, they um, going through, you know, th- these these various scenes. You know, we won't get into all of it because you know we're we're kind of streamlining things. But you know, they really downplayed the Halloween theme in this. It's almost uh, lost in the score. Um, Although there's there's one one bright spot I wanted to mention, they gave Janet Lee the the classic uh, throwback line. She says to she she bumps into Jamie Lee's character and scares the shit out of her. Where Jamie Jamie Lee I think even says like Oh fuck," <laughs> and uh, and Janet Lee gets to say it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare, right? <laughs> Well, we have to talk about the masks. Can we talk about the masks? Yeah, okay. Let's let's get in. Let's get into to Michael Michael himself, since Michael is the standout problem of this film. <laughs> Michael is the standout problem in the film. Again, he he moves all wrong. Um, they started off fine with the mask from number six, uh, which is one of my favorite masks. It's one of the worst movies, but it's one of the better masks in the series. Um, and they started they started with that one, and it was great, and he looked a lot better. And then when he shows up in the kitchen to kill Charlie, is that his name? Yeah, yeah, Charlie's the first, uh, first and he's, to die. Right, he drops the uh, corkscrew in the, uh, in the garbage disposal and he's going to reach his hand and then michael walks into the kitchen when you when he turns around and he sees him it's a cgi mask yeah it's like computer generated and it's weird looking uh and then the next time um i think we see the mask is when we get the reveal uh we get the reunion between laurie and michael yeah the the money shot and that's 
it's so funny because that's like the shot that, uh, like we said in the beginning, that you want to see. That's the when they finally come face to face again, and they. It, it's set up well, like the, the sequence leading into that moment is set up so well. There's tons of tension. He's chasing the kids. I mean, chasing, he's walking at a moderate pace, but (laughs) right. But then they have to get into the fence gate and they get into the fence gate and then they have to get the keys and they're ruffling, rifling the keys and they're trying to open the door. They close the security gate in front of the front door and yeah. he's reaching and swinging the knife, and they're trying to get the internal door open. And Correct me if I'm wrong. Were there not sound of like whoosh sound effects? Like he's swinging a cavalry saber. Right. right. It's a little silly. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, and then you know, luckily Jamie Lee. Uh, Lori Strode, she gets to the door from the inside, opens it, gets the kids in, and slams it shut just as he makes his way through the security gate. And there's that scene that's like a porthole style window in that door. And they're just on the other side of the glass from each other, looking right into each other's eyes. And that is part of the problem. They are looking into, into the eyes. Each other's eyes there they are for everybody to see <laughs> yeah you can fully fucking see michael myers obviously eyes. one of the scarier parts of the mask is that the eyes are primarily hidden and dark uh in most of the movies and the way that they were shot by carpenter and and previous directors um having his eyes kind of revealed in that way um, that much space around the eye is it ruined it completely ruined the scene yeah um and it, it just it it takes away from um from that tension that that Steve Miner worked so hard to build and he just it just kills it right then and there so um yeah and that was something very specific that John Carpenter and even then other directors even some of the worst directors of the franchise history they specifically got the idea that you don't it has to be two hollow black holes how does everybody else get it right (laughs) but then on the big miramax funded hollywood comeback of jamie lee curtis and the franchise do you not do that right (laughs) I don't know. I, I, I don't know. And and this is this is how the movie gets ruined. Yeah. Quite frankly. I I I watch this movie every year and every year I talk myself into how much I'm going to actually love it. And then I watch it and I start to like it just like I always do when you start to that tension starts to build of Laurie meeting Michael. And then you start to see Michael and it just it just kills. It just kills the movie. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. And and I even have a note in my notes. Michael Myers looks doofy, stands doofy, walks doofy. And then I have a note just says the hair. (laughs) 
Right. Uh, I also had a problem with the fact that this movie picked up after Halloween 2. So what happened at the end of Halloween 2? The mask is burned. Well, the mask is burned. And he's Okay, burned. assume he got a new, uh, a yeah, new he, mask. He's burned, burned yeah. unless he got plastic surgery. Again, the hand. Why? It's a nice, clean hand. It looks like my hand. Um, and in other movies, they've actually gotten that right. Like in other movies, they, you see like stars and markings his, on the backs of his he, hands. Yeah. Right. Yep. So yep. they 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 messed that up. Um, it, it's as if it's as if they they it's as if Steve Miner, you know, and I don't know the in, internal workings of this guy's head, but it's as if he considered every other little thing, like every other little nuance or beat in the movie and then it was as if oh we can just put michael myers in it was like michael myers was almost an afterthought to the story he wanted to tell coming from a franchise where you kind of almost could put anybody you know in in the jason mask yeah but and even this this chris durand you know they've got him he's doing he's doing head tilts for no reason they're just throwing the head tilts in there, like, you know, like it's overall. It's, he, they, yeah, they, they had some. They actually had some cool moments. I mean, the 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 moment where he is lowering himself down from the the what, like it's the, the piping that's running above, you know, their heads. Yeah, you know, I don't know if it's a water pipe or a heating pipe or whatever, but he's he was up there and he just kind of lowers himself down with one arm right behind her. That was cool. Oh yeah, um, yeah. You know, they, it certainly had its moments. It had tension. I did like the scene where uh, towards the end, she's running away from Michael and it's that same sequence of scenes where she runs into, I don't know if it's a cafeteria or whatever, but where all the tables are Yeah, and she's going through the tables and he's standing on top. That was a good scene. That was yeah. a very, uh, a tension filled scene. Um, but again, the only thing is you, you still have to look at that Michael Myers. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's, that, that happens, uh, that comes right after, uh, Alan or Adam Arkin finally gets, uh, gets his, um, <laughs> after, uh, and I wrote this down because, uh, this stood out to me. They have that moment at the glass, right? Going back just briefly to the glass and, mm. She's locked the door. Michael can't get through and they start running away. And Adam Arkin says, who was that? <laughs> like, what is, have you been paying attention <laughs> at all? No. And then luckily he gets, uh, and that's why he gets it. Yeah, he um, gets stabbed. <laughs> um, <laughs> Oh, and one thing. Speaking about the per, the performance of uh, Michael Myers in this, another added to that. There's they had to try to recreate the Undertaker rise at some point in the movie, right? And the way they did it was so fucking ridiculous. He he's on. He there's a moment where he he gets. Uh, he he gets on, he like gets hit with something and he's on his knees and so he has to flop back on his butt and then push and slide out from the wall <laughs> to get the leg clearance 
and it looks super fucking awkward. He has to make the room, yeah. Yeah, they, yeah, they, they decide to work it in right after he's been, like, folded up on it's his like knees wrestling. in front it's of a doorway. It's like wrestling. It's his signature move. <laughs> it's his signature move, so any way that they can fit it in, they got to fit it in. Well, that's one of the things, like, given, I, I like this film, um, and obviously I hate Resurrection, but this is you see a little bit of the beginnings of the cynicism like that this some of the movie making has become a little cynical like oh we're just going to make a halloween movie and so it's just like like you said like oh it's his signature move so okay we have to have him do the sit up at some point so let's do it here <laughs> well what's the what's the intent so i don't know if the intent was well the yeah cuz the producers are going to say you need to put this stuff in yeah the audience the audience wants to see it so a big part of this movie and the idea behind kind of this movie was you know this was jamie lee wanted to end it but it was it was a celebration so she wanted there was a lot of fun things that they did in the movie like the stuff they did with psycho having ll in it there's a lot of cool things that they did they brought back the nurse from the original you know, so they wanted to do some fun things for the audience. So I think having that Undertaker rise was going to be part of it no matter what. So but I don't know that they intended to just do it um, because they were being lazy. I think they did it because they felt they needed to do it. Yeah. So we get the we can just skip ahead to the ending sequence. So th- this is where you get the big moment. um where Jamie Lee is going to fool the audience into thinking that this is over. And uh, she does only, she steals his body at gunpoint. They drive off. She drives off with him in a body bag in the back of the van, the coroner's van or whatever. And they then, he gets up and they careen down this hill. He like, she like, I think she slams on the brakes or something and he goes flying out and they, he's tumbling down the hill and the van's coming down the hill and she jumps out and the van nails him in between it. He's in between the van and the tree. And then she very famously gets out, grabs the fireman's ax and they have this like moment where I'm reaching for you. You're reaching for me. Oh, are we brother and sister? Oh, (laughs) and then she fucking lops his head off and it rolls and, you know, big end of the movie. She comes to her senses. Right. And now knowing what we know, though, for Resurrection, like, um, that this is like a paramedic that he's swapped. Michael Michael has thought ahead, and he's swapped out this paramedic and wrapped his mouth in duct tape or whatever. And the, apparently when you have a, uh, your mouth covered with duct tape, you can't make any noise at all. <laughs> No, oh. they covered that in the exposition oh, that's of Resurrection. Right, he, he so if you want to get into the... He, he gets his, his larynx crushed. Was crushed. That's right. That's right. But still. <laughs> they they thought of everything. So but before we move can't into... Get re- past anything, can't get anything past Rick Rosenthal. <laughs> so before we move into to Resurrection, um, we got to talk about the fact that LL makes it. LL survives. Ooh, yeah. He, yep. he can't. You can't kill that man. He break. He mm. breaks the because mm. it. Like you hate to say it, you know. I mean, I love horror movies, but yes, like there's a trope about the black character getting killed first, right. like yes. for a reason. Like there's a reason yes. it's out there. And we're not. We're not saying anything new. 
We think it's bullshit just like everybody else does. Um, so they decide to break it here. LL survives the encounter with Michael Myers. And I remember when we saw it in the movie theater and there were mm. the three girls behind us. There were three African-American girls sitting behind us. Not and, happy. And they were not happy when they f- do the fake out and you think that LL gets shot by Adam Arkin. <laughs> They Adam have... Arkin thinking it was Michael coming around the corner. They yeah. see the, he sees the shadow. He thinks it's Michael, and he shoots without thinking. Yeah. Um, Those wait. three girls were not pleased, to say right. the least. Not at all. <laughs> and I remember when he popped out at the end, towards the end of the movie, and they're like, "Oh, I told you! I told you! You can't kill LL! You can't kill LL! No, you no, you can't kill him!" And I no. remember I, I turned around, I said, "Yeah, because ladies love cool J." And <laughs> Girl goes, that's right, white boy. That's right. <laughs> so LL makes it through. Everybody was happy about that. He was he was probably one of the best characters of the movie. Like next to Jamie Lee Curtis, like you you were you know wanting well, LL to survive. One of the one of the big things, and I I'll save it for well I had it down in my notes for resurrection. What but we can talk about it a little bit now is the fact that the characters I felt in H two O were more likable than the characters in Resurrection. Yeah. So I do think you did care about, because they made the characters close to Lori, right? So it was Lori and her family and her son's, you know, girlfriend and, and his friends. So it, there's a little bit more meaning there. There's when they died. Um, so I think that you came to like all these people. You loved LL's character. Um, you got to like adam markin's character i think a little bit <laughs> um and 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 josh hartnett you know michelle williams i i thought that they did a that they were obviously a better level of actor um you know the, the than the the actors in resurrection yeah. unfortunately yeah um so i i think one of the greater parts of the movie were that you did kind of care a little bit more about these characters than you did in some of the other movies. Now, do you do you think there were enough kills for a big comeback movie for Michael Myers? Yeah, well, that's that's the problem, and that's that that's what the problem was with Halloween Kills. And again, another episode we always like to say stuff like that, but um, they went too far with they just wanted to make a movie where he kills a bunch of people, and that's not really. The scary, you know, part of Halloween. The scary part is the the stalking, tension, and where is he, and when's he going to show up, and that kind of thing. That's what's scary. It's not if he kills thirty people or he kills five people. Um, that's that's not really where the 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 horror is. That the the horror is built into that. The Halloween horror is built in that tension uh, that is created um, by. Know, guys like John Carpenter. Yeah. All right. Well, let's see. I think we're. Are we ready to 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 get into it here? Oh God. <laughs> do you need a Do you need a drink? <laughs> I mean, get a drink. Should, should we take shots? <laughs> so now we get uh, our our old pal Rick Rosenthal comes back, and this is uh, four years later. This is it's uh, 2002 when uh, they come out with Halloween Resurrection. Um, Jamie Lee she does agree to return 
uh, in this one just to to make sure that her story is final and ended. She uh, uh, they set up the whole thing where she uh, uh, pretends she basically pretends that she's lost her her marbles. I mean, she was she was like mentally um, unstable after finding out that she killed a paramedic instead of Michael Myers, that Michael was still out there. But when we find her in... Oh, go ahead. Understandable. No, uh, obviously understandable. Um, Again, the the idea that's not the problem, it's the execution. Yeah. Yeah, so now she's in a mental institution and uh, she's uh, hiding her pills, faking taking her pills because she knows, she believes Michael will be coming for her. Um. So in this one, we get Michael Myers pl- played by a guy named Brad Laurie. Um, and my my note right next to his, I have the cast list, and my note right next to his name is somehow an even worse Michael than Chris Durant. <laughs> I I had written down moves like a wrestler entering the ring. <laughs> um, and so. Uh, we get uh, Tyra Banks. Tyra Banks shows up as a character, um, which she's basically just playing Tyra Banks. I don't know exactly why, <laughs> what the purpose of that was, but she's, it's just her. Um, and we get, uh, we get one of the other standouts. Uh, I'll get to Busta in a second, but one of the other standouts of the cast is we get a very young Katie Sackoff. This was like, uh, Katie Sackoff, she went on to do a bunch of stuff. Um, she was Starbuck in the Battlestar Galactica uh, remake series. Um, she did um, a big stint on the um, law show, t- uh, the the Wyoming law show Longmire, which had a big uh, cult following. And now she's uh, very famously Bo-Katan on The Mandalorian. Um, Katie Sackoff has huge sci-fi... Uh, horror movie type cred. Um, she was in one of the uh, Riddick movies. Um, there's tons of tons of fans out there that love Katie Sackoff. This was her first big movie where she plays uh, sassy, sexy Jen, um, best friend of the the main the main character. Um, played uh, the main character is Sarah Moyer, played by Bianca Kajilic. I'm hoping I pronounced that right. Kylik. Oh, it's pronounced Kylik. It's Kylik. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> and of course, we have. I had notes too. Buster Rhymes as Buster Rhymes, Freddie Harris, Freddie, the the uh, founder and CEO of Dangertainment. <laughs> <sighs> And it's funny because I made some I made some notes. My my favorite thing to say about this is is I feel like this movie is so cynical. It it's literally like Hollywood just oh okay we need another Halloween movie. What what can we do? And Buster Rhymes his casting in this before I even read the actual story I had already guessed it, and it was that the producers were like, hey audiences really loved LL Cool J in that last movie. Let's try and get LL Cool J again. Maybe we'll have him rehash his character in this movie. He'll be like a a carryover character. Oh, 
LL Cool J is now too expensive. Well, let's get Coolio. Oh, no, Coolio fell through. Buster Rhymes will do it. And then we can appeal to black audiences. <laughs> that was literally... Did they actually tried to get Coolio? They tried to get Coolio. But that was the thought process. They wanted to make this film more appealing to African-American audiences. So that is why they cast Buster Rhymes. They wanted. They basically said, let's get... We can't get the famous rapper we want. So let's get any famous rapper. Does it matter if he can really act? Not really. Let's get Tyra Banks. She can only really play herself. But we're going to be appealing to black audiences. <laughs> you know, and that's the thing. It, it's... You know, I, I'm not saying that. I think that, you know, you can you can put anybody in, in a movie as long as they're a great actor. You know, you can put anybody in a film. You know, the cast can be as diverse as you want it to be if they're all good actors and you have a good script and, and it's, you know, you make good art. But it's so Hollywood cynicism that, like, a bunch of white dudes sitting around a table somewhere was like, hey, let's put a famous black rapper in this because everybody liked the famous black rapper in the last one. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a boardroom movie, you yeah. know, where they everybody just throws in ideas and they see what sticks. Um, they they, and that's why this movie is really was a money grab and um, is just riddled with problems. So yeah, so we get uh, yeah Rick Rosenthal's head in the thing. We get a screenplay by uh, Larry Brand and Sean Hood. Um, I didn't bother to look them up because I feared they're just bad writers. So <laughs> I couldn't have imagined I would have found anything amazing. <laughs> they went on to write Slumdog Millionaire. Um, little, little known fact. <laughs> it's a direct sequel to Halloween H2O the eighth installment of the franchise released on July 12th, 2002 to uh, big surprise. I'm going to shock you here. Unfavorable reviews. Mm. <laughs> really? Um, they had another film planned for after this one, but when Should this, it, Oh, <laughs> what? <laughs> I was going to, I thought you, you were going to say, they had another plan, but they went with this one. Should have should have gone with the other one. Oh no 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 the, no! They they basically they thought we're going to put this out. It's riding on the coattails of H two O. How bad could it end up? And they didn't realize that this sucker was going to bomb terribly. And so they actually scrapped the other movie. <laughs> they decided not to make the follow up to this one. Well, it's not really even, you know, they waited four years to make, you know, a sequel to, to H2O. They, they waited too long. Yeah, they didn't really capitalize on the, you know, when it was hot. Right. Um, so, yeah, but it left the door open then for the eventual Rob Zombie uh, remake of the first two films. Um, and, I mean, you know, remake. So a blessing in disguise remakes reboots reimaginings like you know do we even like this shit <laughs> you know i think I, I can't can we can we even name one um like straight up remake or reboot that that's worked now i don't count 2018 halloween because 2018 halloween is 
technical if you want to get really technical about it, it's a sequel. It's a continuation it's a of the story where yep. Laurie Strode makes it clear that all that shit that we were told in between were all stories that were like concocted in the media as to like people trying to figure out why this happened. So that this was like TMZ style rumor mill shit of, Oh, she's his sister and all this other stuff. How far back can we go on the remake? How far back do you want to go? (laughs) Well, the remake of the thing. Oh, okay. All right. All right. You got me. (laughs) Yeah. When, when you let, when you let about 40 years go by (laughs) between, (laughs) uh, or when you give the story to a capable director. Yeah, yeah, well, you know. Also, if you go back, if you if you go back and this um maybe an unpopular opinion, but if you go back and you watch the remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it's not as bad as I think people think it is. Does that make sense? If you go back and watch it, it's like when when I said when I told you that I went back and watched the um 2009 version of Friday the 13th. Yeah. It's not, it's compared to the other Friday the 13th. It really isn't that bad. It I, really isn't. I think. And so, and then the Texas Chainsaw Massacre with Jessica Beale is not that bad. It's actually pretty decent. I think that the, the issue, like I think remakes or reboots, whichever you want to, you want to do or whatever you want to call it they work when there's something new that can be brought to the characters or the story. So like when John Carpenter remade the thing, you know, he's remaking a movie. It's just like the 1950s. Yeah. He's remaking a film that came out in the fifties. The special effects weren't there. The, the story, you know, had to, was in like a little box. There was stuff that was considered acceptable to, to do or talk about or, you know, to put in a film. And he's dealing with different rules, new rules. So he's like, I can make this shit great, you know? Like, I can really bla- blow the doors off this thing and really fuck people up. <laughs> but just as, mu- just as much time passed from um, Texas Chainsaw, the original, to the remake, 30, 30 years yeah, but I mean, th- th- that's a question of, like, are you going to just tell the same story over again? Or are you going to bring something to it that is is new enough or fresh enough or interesting well, enough? Well, they didn't redo. They didn't just redo the same story. They didn't necessarily redo the same story. I mean, they it, it was it was a lot of it was similar, but it was a little bit different well, um, with the know, characters. It's sort of like the when st- they when they did the then the sort of prequel sequel reimagining make to the thing you know when they made the i forget what year that was but they made the one where it's 2011 yeah now you're seeing the norwegian team which is you see the last of the norwegians in the beginning of john carpenter's the thing right and so they decide to go back to like okay let's see what happened at the norwegian outpost but what happened at the norwegian outpost is the same fucking shit that happened in the story we already saw 
oh, we found their fillings. You know, <laughs> it's like it's the same fucking shit. And it's like, you know, and then and then they made like the 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 blasphemous move of hiring uh, a crew, um, Tom Woodruff's company, to do all the practical effects. And then these effers in the boardroom said, no, that looks too 80s. We oh. want you to CGI all oh. over it. It would have been perfect. And they covered everything up. All of this practice, they even had the guy splitting open on the helicopter was a practical effect. Tom Woodruff wore uh, like a unit that would, mm-hmm. when, he, when he pulled his arms apart, would split the chest and head. And he's like kind of behind it. Right. And they fucking CGI'd over the whole thing. So that's kind of what I'm talking about is like, if you're just going to tell the same story, but tell it, you know, in some banal uh, way, then what's the point? That's 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 I agree with you. That's all I agree with you. But um, but I will say some of the most um, the some of the most creative, the best kills in the Friday 13th series came from the 2009 version of the Friday of Friday 13th. Yeah, the the bear trap. And then he trapped him that whole opening sequence. We've we've talked about this many times. The whole first 15 minutes before the title sequence actually comes up on the screen before you see Friday the 13th, that whole 15 minutes prior to that, um, when uh, he strings her up in the sleeping bag over the campfire, and then he comes to save her, and Jason, knowing he's going to, to run after her, sets the trap right where he's going to be running to and traps him. And he has to watch while a bear trap is around his ankle. He has to watch his girlfriend burn over a campfire. That was really messed up. I mean, and, and then not only that, but remember the, um, the whole sequence when um, Amanda Rigetti's character and her boyfriend uh, is the same 15 minutes are in Jason's house and the he's underneath the house yeah. and the machete is coming up through the floorboards and you never know where the machete is going to come up and she jumps into the bathtub. So like she's protected, but he's not. And you'd like, you know, he's going to get nailed, but you don't know when and how and which one is going to get him. And it's very, it's, it's, it's a very creative opening 15 minutes. And that was a remake. And that was a, that was a, or a reimagining, whatever you want to call it. Um, so I, I don't want to completely dismiss the, the remakes and the reimaginings. If you kind of like you said, if you have some fresh stuff to bring to it, and that was that was the freshest part of that movie, right? Yeah. If you remember. And then it kind of starts to go the way that a lot of the horror movies uh, go. But um, but those first 15 minutes were really creative and really new and really exciting. And uh, and that was that was that was the remake. So, yeah. So this this movie Resurrection. So booyah on you. <laughs> Resurrection takes place three years after H two O in the story timeline. Um, now Daniel Farrens, he was one of the writers. Uh, the writer that I talked about, where uh, he wanted to pitch uh, Lord of the Dead. He tried to pitch Lord of the Dead again, um, where Laurie would have where Laurie would have been the antagonist. Where now Michael's dead and Laurie's gone psycho and becomes the killer. Um, 
Now, uh, the writer Larry Brand, who they brought in, he's one of the guys that worked on this. He did what all great, and I use that in quotes, great movie writers do. He repurposed a script he, script he already had on the shelf <laughs> for a, a reality show killer. So he had, so this is what they actually did in, in the case of um, the third Die Hard movie um, where it worked. That was actually a script that was not written to be a Die Hard film. That was a, right. a general thriller script with, you know, character X as the lead, you know, guy who saves the day. And somebody took that and refashioned it, rewrote some of the characters and some of the backstory to make Made it, it a John McClane, a John McClane movie. movie. That yeah. that's where it can work here. Not so much. Um, so, yeah, the, he pitched it. Larry Brand pitched it as Halloween uh, colon Michael Myers dot com. <laughs> Fear dot com. I'm anybody? so sad we didn't get that title. <laughs> and then he changed it to Halloween Homecoming. Uh, Resurrection was eventually chosen to let the audience <laughs> let the audience know that, well, Michael's still alive. As if they weren't going to get that when you showed them the trailer. <laughs> or that it was just a Halloween movie in yeah, the first place. Yeah. Um, Brand's ending, he, he wrote an ending that wasn't well received. So they, they brought in that other guy, Sean Hood, to finish up the script. Um, they actually toyed with the idea of giving Danielle Harris a role in the movie. She's, a, uh, you know, famously Jamie Lloyd from uh, f- uh, 4, 5, and 6. And then, obviously, also played Annie Brackett in the Rob Zombie films. Um, but yeah, they, they toyed around with giving her a part in this, and it didn't work out. That's um, unfortunate. She is one of the, the great horror movie actresses yeah. out there. Um, another fun fact is Bianca Kalich's Screams. Kylik. Kylik. <laughs> what? That's not, it's vi- Kylik. All right, spell it for the audience. Oh, no. Well, you want me to spell it. <laughs> spell it's it completely different. And tell them why I should get it right. <laughs> okay, fine. Um, K-A-J-L-I-C-H. <laughs> Kylik. So um, her screams were all dubbed in this film because she couldn't scream. <laughs> so so that's another great choice they made to hire an actress to be a who scream scream. queen who can't scream <laughs> great um it was filmed in british columbia it was the first halloween film not to be filmed in the u.s um the score was by a guy named danny lux uh he really tried actually to get the vibe of an 80s score in this um, but he also had to include a lot of rap and hip-hop music because of the choice of the producers and what demographic they were trying to appeal to. Plus, it was the 90s. Rap and hip-hop music made it into, like, almost everything. Well, actually, this was 2002, so even more so. Um, so let's see. Um, yeah, they actually got beat out at the, the box office... Uh, get this, they got beat out by uh, Matthew McConaughey and Christian Bale's movie, Reign of Fire. 
more people went to see Reign of Fire than went to see this movie. Um, it's got a 10% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> and I actually, and normally I wouldn't do this, but I actually collected together some of the uh, reviews, some of the quotes. The New York Post said, It's so devoid of energy, it makes even Jason X look positively Shakespearean by comparison. <laughs> The New York Times said, Spectators will indeed sit open-mouthed before the scream, not screaming, but yawning. <laughs> Variety said, Seems even more uselessly redundant and shamelessly money-grubbing than most third-rate horror sequels. <laughs> Can you tell we don't like this movie? <laughs> so it stands out. It definitely stands yeah. out. And in 2018, yeah. John Carpenter it was actually quit as saying, uh, I watched the one in that house with all the cameras. Oh, my God. Oh, Lord God. And then the guy gives the speech at the end about violence. Oh, that... Jesus, God, <laughs> he says, no. The guy gives the speech at the end about violence. What the hell? Oh, my Lord. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> um, yeah, Jamie Lee only did this movie because she was under contract to do it, um, and she was guaranteed she'd be killed off. <laughs> she's like i'll only do it if you if you're definitely going to kill my character right um yeah it was actually almost another season of the witch type uh deal they were actually thinking about just scrapping the whole thing and taking off with that anthology idea again and doing just some other movie based around halloween the holiday um, but the producers conducted a poll and big surprise, everybody wanted Michael Myers back. <laughs> right. Like, like they literally tried every step they could to fuck this movie up. <laughs> and then at, at some point they just got reined back in because people were just not going to have it. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then they still fucked yep. it up. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, they go back to a more, I mean, we get like the classic, uh, the more of the classic music, um, but just like H2O, Resurrection does not have a jack-o'-lantern in the beginning of the movie. Neither of these two movies have that classic slow push-in on the jack-o'-lantern opening. Um, and then there's like a weird voiceover in the beginning. Uh, it's Jamie Lee Curtis, and she's talking about a tunnel. Um, and something like, like getting to the end of the tunnel, something about facing destiny or some shit. And I just, my note about that was, could we take ourselves any, any more too seriously? Yeah. <laughs> oh, and this has, this has our favorite opening. It has two completely tertiary unnamed characters giving all of the exposition for the background of the film. It's just two nurses. The two nurses who just have to spit it all out just so everybody knows exactly where we're at. Do you know all about Michael Myers? Last time on Halloween. <laughs> um, but that's where they then reveal uh, the accidental murder of the paramedic. Michael Myers escapes. Um, yeah, and they conveniently cover up, as you mentioned, any plot holes with crushed larynxes and things. Um, now, one of the things that Rick Rosenthal gets right 
is now we hear the breathing inside the mask again, which you don't hear in H2O. You get that, you know... Wow, you had to reach for that. Yeah, you know you know Michael's present because you can hear the breathing in the mask. Yep. Now, here's my question, Brad. Now, here are the things that he got wrong. Is this the worst mask? No, I still say the worst mask is either five or one of the terrible masks that they used in H2O. Um, It's one of the worst. It's one of the worst. The problem with this mask is because in the... So in the original um, movie and then even two and four and five and six, the mask, all the features are whited out. Everything's whited out. The eyebrows are whited out. There's no lot like in this movie, he has eyebrows. Like yeah. the color is in the eyebrows. Now. <laughs> and now he has, they, they're, they're, they have like Those shadow, like lines. lines There's yeah. like lines around his mouth around and his lines cheeks. under his eyes. Like he's got wrinkles or whatever. And he just has all these weird features on the mask that make. And the hair is all wrong. The hair is spiky. I wrote, it looks uh, like John Bon Jovi's chasing. <laughs> chasing yeah. It's, so that combined with you know the fact that the guy that doesn't move uh it's it's another um he doesn't move right it's an it's another movie where they they didn't get michael right and when you don't get michael right and you have a bad script it makes it obviously the worst movie in the franchise when i put a note in here he walks too fast like I know, I told that. you he looks. He moves like a wrestler yeah. entering the ring. He moves like I envision, like Bret Hart, like coming in, <laughs> coming down the ramp, <laughs> coming down the ramp, you know, and stuff like like that's how he's moving through, and or or he's moving like you know, um, he's just moving like this hell bent wrestler, fucking Stone Cold Steve Austin, yeah, you know. Shit, here comes Michael with the steel chair. <laughs> That's Michael with the steel chair. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> oh my Michael Myers! He took Katie Sackoff's head clean off. <laughs> the Myers stunner! The Myers stunner! <laughs> my god! It's pandemonium! Oh, wait a second, wait a second. He ain't down. He's sitting up. Oh, my God. He's sitting up. The resilience. The resilience. (laughs) Uh, He's the third wonder of the world. (laughs) Um, And in this movie, they establish a weird thing that never comes up again in any other Halloween movie where he has trouble with loud, high-pitched sounds. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Right. Anything she that makes has sense. a she has a superpower. Yeah, they yeah. gave the lead character the superpower of of the high scream. Yeah, yeah. Any high pitched sounds fuck with Michael's head, and so the the overdubbed screams of the main character somehow disorient right. him. Yeah. Um. Oh, in the be- in the beginning, we get the weird thing. What is what is with the kiss? What is with Lori kissing Michael on the the mask lips and saying, "I'll see you in hell." <laughs> Why does she kiss him? I don't know. It had to be dramatic, right? <laughs> They're killing off Laurie Strode, so they had to do something dramatic, and it just didn't work like everything else in this movie. 
Um, and of course we get another, every one of these has to have a classroom scene where they're talking yep. about the collective unconscious. I had the same note. The boogeyman, they, young shadow. Uh, <laughs> like, like, once they, again, they had to have the classroom scene. Why? Yeah, let's let's just drop in. Let, let's, Enough. Let's Stop just, foreshadowing. They're just trying to foreshadow Michael. To, uh, hey, let, let's let's take a moment while we tell you what the subtext is. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I mean, and, and that's the thing. It's so it's so true. Like we love to see it in like talk classic, about insulting the audience. Though. We love I to mean, see it in classic movies like Nightmare on Elm Street or whatever. But like you don't do that today. That's not really supposed to be a thing you do anymore. You know. Right. Oh my god. Um, you have to give you have to give the audience a little bit more credit. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I just it stood out to me how super early two thousands this movie is. You know, they're, they're talking about Yahoo chat rooms, emails, <laughs> you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm, yeah. um, and um, this is a found footage movie in a way. And it, this was a movie that was trying to capitalize off of mo- like a movie like Blair Witch Project, right? right. They where had you to had have the that all- first person camera perspectives and right, yeah, all that like kind you of were stuff. watching, like you were very voyeuristic, like you were watching someone get yeah and, get killed over. And really, it goes into the money grab aspect of it. They were just trying to like throw out stuff. Hey, found footage is really popular, guys. Yeah, <laughs> throws against hey, the wall. Everybody yep. likes rap. And they like found footage yep. and they <laughs> like, and found footage. And that's, let's just, yeah, put it all in there. Put it in like a mix, a big pot of it and put it on the sure. screen. Yep. And call it a Halloween movie. Um, and of course, uh, Buster Rhymes does, uh, also address the subtext of the film, uh, in one of his lines. Uh, what do you mean? You don't want to be famous. That's the American dream, you know? Right. Um, I did have a note and I'm not, I I feel we can just kind of skip around this movie a little bit because it just stinks. But, um, (laughs) did you notice that Buster Rhymes actually makes the Kung Fu noises while he's fighting Michael at the end? He does. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And there's all kinds of stuff like that. Just weird stuff. And he electrocutes Michael's nuts. He does. He electrocutes the nuts. But there's like a there's a gratuitous Tyra dancing scene just so you can get a butt shot um, in there, um, you know. And they they do some they, like it's weird. Like Rick Rosenthal, you can tell he he likes horror movies. You can tell he likes making horror movies. You know he he throws. Can some... you from this? Well, yeah. I mean, he has a he has an an homage to the 1960 movie Peeping Tom, where the 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 first the camera guy that's setting up the cameras gets killed with the tripod. That's the way the guy, the killer in Peeping Tom, would kill the women mm. with a camera tripod that he had sharpened to a point. You know, so yeah. Rick Rosenthal, like he kind of like, you know, he's got he he knows like what good horror movies are. He just can't make them. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> but you know, they're, and they're capitalizing on, off of the reality TV show craze. You know, they're talking about. They mentioned getting voted off the island, you know, so Survivor's a big thing by this point. Um, and there's no there's no character development in this movie at all. You have zero connection. Oh, no, you people. you actually it's one of those movies we used to talk about where you dislike them. You dis, right. you dislike them to the point you you it, it's gone into that phase of 
horror movie, you're rooting, slasher movie. You're rooting for the killer. You're rooting for Michael Myers. They've created a scenario where now Michael is the star. You don't care about any of these people at all. Jamie right. Lee dies off in the beginning, and she's the last person you care about in the film. Right. You could give mm-hmm. two shits if any of these people make it out. Um, you know, none of the none of the kills are are you know necessarily interesting or outrageous mm-hmm. in any way or anything. Can I can I ask you this? Um, where did the underground tunnel come from? Yeah, that's that's one of the things that stood out to me is how the, how the Myers house has access to the sewer system or something like it was it wasn't even the sewer it was a it was a it was a tunnel like michael's walking through there there's not like it's not like there's sewage you know kind of running through anything it's a regular but it's it's a series of tunnels with archways like for man to walk through so there was some kind of setup underneath the buyer's house and this is one so part of the movie they had um, all the weird stuff that the characters were finding were actually things that Buster Rhymes' character had planted through the house. Yeah, they were all planted props. They're know? all so that was all fake. So all the the uh, chains in the basement, you know, and the the weird um, high chair, right? Yeah. that sprung out, you know, and all that stuff was planted. And um, but obviously, but the tunnel's real. In, they when didn't they find the tunnel. The, that's supposed to be real. The tunnel's real, so it's supposed to be real, but. Why? Why was there this big intricate tunnel system running underneath Michael Myers' house? I get a feeling that it was probably some weird holdover from when they were trying to do all that stuff with like the Mark of Thorn. I think it I think it crept in from some other script. That that's the way it feels to me is that that was part of some other plan they had that they never never went with. But yeah, it's it's totally weird. Like she goes down a manhole in the house and then comes up a manhole in the garage. It's yeah. totally odd. It's weird. Um, Very weird. But yeah, and it, 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 uh, the shots and edits in this, like I have a note here about the shots and edits are so sloppy. The kills are like fumbling and haphazard. Um, and they're in a house. Like, how do they not hear, like, the, the one guy that gets killed, uh, he gets killed in like the bathroom or whatever. How do they not hear him? He's like screaming. He's like screaming bloody murder. The guy from American Pie? The guy from American uh, Pie. The guy, the guy from, um, Rookie of the year. Yeah, that's, yeah. In the movie, his name's Bill. How do they not hear him screaming just I on like a floor up and like in another? It's like, not that big of a house. I know. Ex- I know. Except for all the uh, the the room. So much of it. The, the house. So much of it doesn't make any sense. Like so much of that. No. The stuff that once they're in the house, you lose all sense of reality. We, we haven't even talked about the ridiculous Miles and Scott characters. Um, oh, that whole storyline with where he's like watching. Well, she she and... met this. Yeah. Well, uh, the main character has this online relationship with this kid um, that goes to also goes to her college. Right. Um, no, she he's in high who... school. Oh, he's in high school. Oh, that's right. He's in high school. He's in high school. She's at college. And she's at college and um, and him and his best friend have to go to that party or, or they sneak into that party and they're dressed as um, the characters from Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Uh, and then they go into Miles. You know, he's too cool for school and he leaves that party and finds well, he, a, a 
he finds the office. Yeah, he promised her he was going to watch. So that he could watch uh, the Dangertainment episode. And uh, so he watches, and then all of a sudden, you know, um, that couple, right, they were going to use the room to have sex, and they burst They in start watching. There, <laughs> and they start watching. And By the end, the know, whole party's in. The whole party's, the whole party's in, in there. Yep. Yeah. Yep. But, yeah, it, it, you know, I... I was like, how much, how much more like early two thousands, like tech and like, and he guides her, he guides her. He saves her life through technology, through technology, through texting. Cause um, I love technology, but yeah, it's, it's hilarious. But Busta, he's doing all the, the chop sake, Kung Fu kicks and everything kicks Michael out of second floor window. Um, where there just happens to be like a rope and stuff that gets strung around Michael's neck. It was like a cable. It was like yeah. a yeah, it was like a, a cable liner or whatever. And then um, through technology, she <laughs> finds out that he's uh, still alive. Well, yeah, yeah. And then um, you know, you you get this whole uh, weird, the whole weird, the whole ending sequence. That whole last ending sequence is totally weird. Tyra Banks has apparently been killed off off screen you don't see her kill that was probably in her contract why we don't know um you get uh the main character sarah ends up attacking michael myers with a chainsaw that somehow he doesn't hear her starting up and she's and she's going this is for rudy this is for (laughs) jen this is for all of them this is for everybody yeah yeah. and then they overdub a scream (laughs) Um, but yeah, and so she, she accidentally chainsaws some wires that starts a fire because there's just flammable liquids all over the floor. Cause you know, it's a garage. It's a garage. It's a gr- <laughs> Cause in my garage, you know, there's just flammable liquids just laying on the puddles of it on the floor. Uh, I go into a lot of garages, um, <laughs> for my work and there's a lot of stuff in people's garages. So it's not inconceivable that there would be flammable liquid inside the garage but then then we get then we get busta (laughs) busta his his for for all of the the hammy bullshit like the by this point you're just like laughing at this movie so if you give yourself over to it and just think this and waiting for it to end and waiting for it to end so if you give yourself over to it and just think okay this movie's a fucking joke they made it because they wanted to make fucking money and they they did all the things they could throw at it to think you know stuff that they thought people would pay to see you know if you just give yourself over to it um you know it's not it's not not a movie that's so bad it's good but it's so bad that you can eventually let go and laugh at it a little bit and you know i (laughs) disagree but busta has the best some of the best lines in the end of the movie. They're the most ridiculous sure. things. Um, yeah. Busta comes through the door. Michael's about to kill the main character. Busta busts through the door like Busta. And he goes, trick or treat motherfucker. <laughs> no, no. See, he actually even delivers the line wrong, <laughs> which I can't believe I, I have to say out loud, but Busta rhymes. Um, it should have been, trick-or-treat motherfucker right yeah but it's trick-or-treat and then he like looks up and down it's a delay (laughs) and then he says motherfucker and i'm like (laughs) ah you kind of lost it there a little bit but but yeah should have been you know 
Trick or treat, motherfucker. Yeah, he try he tries to kill Michael Myers with an axe and gets laid out. And then eventually he electrocutes him in the balls. <laughs> right, he swings at him and Michael predictably grabs grabs the handle. Yeah. <laughs> and Buster Rhymes looks so surprised. <laughs> no! Oh no! But yeah, so uh, eventually, is, eventually he electrocutes him to the balls with the the uh, the jumper cables or whatever, and yeah. then um, and then somehow uh, he electrocutes him also using uh, Tyra Banks's blood puddle. I don't know how that fucking works. I don't. I didn't know that that would be. Well, if you ever do. watch Tango and Cash, you can't be in contact with a liquid. But a blood. Grab... But a blood puddle. I didn't think a blood puddle would be conductive enough. What's in me? It isn't blood. Just I don't know. What's the? Isn't is there any water in blood? Well, yeah, there is, but I, it just I, it just seems ridiculous to me that he uses the there blood puddle. Um, Michael Myers gets hung up in some wires because apparently mm-hmm. his kryptonite is wires, <laughs> and yep. um, and and then he catches fire and uh, Busta gets another couple great lines and he says, "Burn, motherfucker, burn." <laughs> And then as he's taking Sarah out, he has to stop as he's trying yep. to save the girl. He has happy to stop. Halloween! He goes, hey, Mikey, happy fucking Halloween. <laughs> Mikey. And then outside, when the uh, reporter asks him about uh, Michael Myers, he goes, Michael Myers is a killer shark in baggy-ass overalls. <laughs> Classic. Oh, my God. And he's talking yeah. shit to Michael Myers' burned corpse. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, and then, of course, well, don't forget the fact that, right, he gets taken away in the ambulance, and then he comes to the uh, coroner's office. Yep. yep. And, and. And. And his eyes open. <laughs> his eyes open. He's still alive. <gasps> Shocker. But yeah, I wrote a, I wrote one note here at the end. What a piece of shit. <laughs> that was my official note. Um, so yeah, is, is there anything redeeming about this movie? I thought you might ask that. And the answer is uh, no. <laughs> um, you know, and was it a right way to, to close out Laurie Strode's story? Nope. Um, is there any way that this timeline could have continued? This particular timeline? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, do, do you mean cut Resurrection out and then go from H2O and figure out a better sequel? No, I'm yeah, talking about from sure. this. If you went from this. No, 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 no. This is, no, you can't come back from this. And You um, have to do what they did, which was they just scrapped it all and went with Rob Zombie uh, rebooting it. So. Yeah. So how do we feel about this arc compared to the Thorn trilogy, Zombies Halloweens, the David Gordon Green trilogy, like yeah, the 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 whole arc, Halloween 78 to Resurrection. It can well this arc contains both the best movie and the worst movie. So yeah. I guess um the oh, that's a tough one. That that's really tough. My, you know, our favorite is the Marcus Thorne show. Can we say it out loud? Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. Okay, our, yeah. Collectively, we let's ag- just say it. We've agreed that the Mark of Thorne trilogy is the best storyline of Halloween. 
it's uh, certainly next our to favorite. next to the original seventy eight film. There's the seventy eight film, and then four, five, and six. <laughs> obviously, the seventy eight film is the the best of the best. Um, but yeah, the number four, even five, even five, as much as I, I I hate it, I still have to watch it because I and as six is a disaster. Yeah. I and mean, we'll talk about that. But the characters of Jamie Lloyd and Rachel, uh, you know, and and Loomis just completely. I mean, you have to remember those movies had Donald Pleasance in them still. Yeah. You know, you with H2O, uh, we didn't we didn't really talk about it. But with H2O and Resurrection, you're missing it big piece of that original series and that that that's uh donald pleasant's character yeah yeah definitely um is it is resurrection worse than season of the witch you asked that on purpose um (laughs) because of my complete disdain for for halloween three well on that note i think (laughs) i don't know how to answer that it's that's that's tough um I will I will obviously I watched this movie. Yeah. As much as I hate it, as much as I hate it, I still watch it. Yeah. So Halloween three is not it's I don't consider it a part I'm, of the series. Yeah, because because it's it's even the worst Michael Myers movie is ostensibly better, better than is yes. Than a non Michael Myers movie. <laughs> Which is ridiculous. It's just it's a, it's a ridiculous concept, and I hate it. And we'll have a whole episode on it. But I'm going to complain the entire time we talk about it. <laughs> All right, so we'll uh, we'll wrap up the discussion there. Um, but yeah, uh, seventy eight, great. Two, not so good. H two O, H two O. Wow, what a comeback! And resu- sort of, sort of, and resurrection. Holy shit, that's the worst movie of the series. Right. The very uh, up and down arc. Yeah. So uh, we'll wrap it up here. Tell us your thoughts. You can hit us up at nosferadudes at gmail.com. Um, and we'll be back in two weeks. And I think we're going to do the Once Bitten Fright Night comparison, right? Sure. Yeah, I think let's let's we we've we've done two episodes of Halloween. We'll step away from Halloween for a minute. Okay, we're stepping then, away from Halloween and then get back um, into it next the net with the time after. After we do the Fright Night One Spitting, which is going to be a fun episode, um, we can come back with Halloween Four. Okay, all right, we'll start the Mark of Thorn. <laughs> we have to start that series because I'm going to be excited to talk about that series. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Not like this garbage movie we just talked about. Well, all right. Well, uh, thanks to everybody out there, the nine folks who listen. uh, (laughs) Appreciate you. Yep, yep. And uh, we'll be back in two weeks with Once Bitten and Fright Night. Um, So until then, uh, I'm Kyle. I'm Brad. We're the Nosferatu dudes. And just remember, the broadcast is coming from inside the house. (laughs) 